Thank you, Barbara. If you'll grab your copy of Scripture, open to the book of Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 42. That's page 646 in the Pew Bible in front of you. Or just open there to the, about the middle of your Bible. You should find the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in number 42. Psalm 42. Very wonderful uh, passage of Scripture. Some uh, passages in uh, specifically the first verse will be very familiar to you, but as we go through it, um, the rest of it is often, uh, for the most part, overlooked as far as just our uh, everyday study may go. So it would be very profitable for us to look at this psalm tonight and see what the Lord has to teach us. Okay, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask now, Lord God, that you will use it to instruct our hearts. Lord, we confess now that we are a needy people, and you, Lord God, are the only solution to our need. And so we ask that you would come and speak to us now, Father God, through your word. We receive it as a precious, perfect gift from you to us, intended for us. And Lord God, now we long to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is your God? When I remember these things, I... Pour out my soul within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went to, I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude and kept the pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the hill of Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All the waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and in the night His song shall be with me. A prayer to God. A prayer to the God of my life. I will say to the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him and the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 42 really is, uh, 42 and 43 are really one uh, psalm broken down into two parts. It's one continuous uh, flow. I knew that we would uh, never get through both of them, so we'll just work through 42. But it it brings up some wonderful wonderful truths for our consideration tonight. I want you to consider with me um, the way the spiritual life and the physical life go together. In other words, uh, this psalm will shed some light on that. It, and, and just for a way of introduction, I want you to consider with me how uh, as 
the people of God, oftentimes uh, we can approach our spiritual lives in similar ways to the way we approach our physical lives. In that, from a physical standpoint, um, there are things that we do to maintain our health. And then there are things that we do when we are in a health crisis. And those are two very different things. So in other words, we may uh, exercise to take care of ourselves, to prevent ourselves from becoming sick. But then when we're sick, we don't exercise to get unsick. That would be rather foolish in most cases. And from a spiritual standpoint, there are things that we do to maintain our walk with the Lord. In other words, there are disciplines that are part of our daily lives that will, uh, that will keep us healthy as the children of God. For example, our prayer life and our daily consumption of Scripture are very helpful to keep us healthy as we go. But there are times when we find ourselves sick, spiritually sick, when we find ourselves in need of something different. We need to go to the physician. We need uh, a doctor. We need surgery, if you will, spiritually. And one of the mistakes that we oftentimes make is that we don't make the delineation spiritually that we do physically. And we'll begin to treat our spiritual illness just as if, uh, you know, if we just pray more, if we read our Bible more, if we just do these things that we do to stay well, if we just do those, they'll get us through this time. And what I want you to see tonight from Psalm 42 is that that's not necessarily true. Now, although certainly I'm not discouraging uh, anyone from the disciplines that keep us healthy as God's children, but I am saying that there are times in our life when we're sick. There are times in our life when we uh, have have hit the wall and we need to understand what is going on around us. What you see in Psalm 42 is a very uh, unique picture in the Word of God of what happens to an individual who is in a spiritual drought, who finds themselves in a desert, in a very dry and lonely place. And as you, as you read through Psalm 42, there's certain things that are missing that immediately should jump out in our mind because uh, as uh, the people that we are, the way that we think, the way that we understand life, this really doesn't make a whole lot of sense. First and foremost, you don't see any discussion in Psalm 42 as to what, what, uh, what is the crime for which the writer is suffering. In other words, there's no allusion to the sin that has driven this psalmist into the spiritual drought. So it appears that through the course of life, sometimes we find ourselves in a dry place. And you know what? We really resist that that truth. We really want to think that if we just uh, sort of press on and just keep doing the things that we need to do, that we'll always be okay. And I would submit to you that I don't believe that's entirely true. And here's why. Because I think this psalm illustrates God's desire to grow us in a season of drought. And He's a sovereign God. And He will bring us into whatever it is that He feels is best for us. 
we on one hand like to sing that He makes all things work together for our good. But we don't really like to experience that on a daily basis. It's much more comfortable to sing than it is to experience. See, we like to sing, I'll never know. But what if you did know? What, what, if, what if you did know what it costs? What if you did know to see my sin upon that cross? See, He does know. We really don't know. But He does. Because He bore the weight and penalty of our sin. And so, for us, it's a very comforting thought to know that He did that. And, and we can sort of allude to, to things about what that might have been like. But we don't really know that. We're not... We, we're not in a position to be able to to even begin to comprehend. And so what happens to us oftentimes is that we, uh, especially those of us who've been in church a long time, what, what happens is as we're going through the course of our spiritual life, when God sometimes decides to begin to to do a work in us, begin to mold and shape us, which requires that the shape and form that we're currently in needs to be broken. You see, we like to sing brokenness. Brokenness is what I hate. See, we sing it all day long. But what happens when God breaks you? What happens when you're being broken? You see, we all want to be reshaped, but we don't want to go through the process. In other words, we want to be, we, we want to be healed, but we don't want to deal with the surgery. And so what we do is we make, uh, we, we, we make these excuses. We sort of deny what's really going on around us. And we, we, we put ourselves in a position where we don't, we don't really want to say, because if we say to each other, you know what, I'm just, I'm in a, I'm in a dry place. I'm in a lonely place. I'm in a dark place. I'm in a deep valley. Everyone goes into panic mode. And we start to prescribe all these vitamins and exercises that are going to solve this illness. When in fact, we don't need vitamins and exercise. We need a doctor. And so we say, well, you know what? You need to, you need to, uh, you need to just pray more. You need to read your Bible more. You need to, and which, again, those are all good things. But my point is, is that here is clearly someone who is in a spiritual drought, in a desert. Why? We don't know. There's no indication there's no, in fact, if you read all the way through Psalm 43, you, as, you, as you see this progress, pro, progress through, you, you don't find this great sense of repentance and remorse. I mean, in other words, it just, there's no indication that, that there's sin. And so sometimes, this is what I want you to hear from me tonight. Sometimes when you're doing all the right things, the rug gets jerked out from under you. Now, a lot of times when things start crashing, there's a reason. And we had something to do with it. But not all the time. Not all the time. Sometimes God's doing a work in us that can only be done by breaking us 
to remold us or shape us. And this is why this is the sort of discussion that we can really only have on a Sunday night because there's, there's so much room here for, for you to plug in what you think I'm saying into what I'm actually saying. You see, because there might be some people in this room tonight who are in a spiritual drought. And you know exactly why you're in a spiritual drought, but it sure sounds good to hear me say, sometimes you can be doing everything right and you can wind up in a spiritual drought. And that really is not what your problem is. Your problem is is that you rebelled against God and now you're suffering the consequences for it. It's just that simple. But then sometimes... Sometimes that's not the case. And here, it's not the case. And I want us to just take this apart and see some of the, the reasons why the psalmist, because there's clear indication here of what happened or what has changed and it serves as great warning to us as the people of God and it should be very instructive to us on how to minister and help one another so let's let's look at what's going on here what is what is the the, the problem now you see the the psalmist is not doubting God on an intellectual level the psalmist is estranged from God on an emotional level. And see, that's what makes this psalm and really the book of Psalms so tricky is that it's just raw human experience just laid out there. I mean, there's nothing held back. Some of the most graphic texts in all of Scripture occur in the book of Psalms. And it's it's sometimes hard for us to get our heads around, but this is an emotional Cry! This is coming from someone who is in real suffering. Now, let's just look at some things that have occurred in uh, this person's life that have sort of uh, that are the difference between walking in uh, a healthy, thriving relationship with God and being in the desert. The first one is there's a disruption in community. Look at verse four. Notice he says that when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Notice verse 6. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon and from the, from the hill of Mizar. Now, We don't know exactly what took place, but here's what we can tell from what the psalmist says in verse 4 and the geography of verse 6, that something has changed and the psalmist has now gone from being in the community of other people to disconnected from them. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that this was by choice. Maybe he was captured by a foreign country and taken off somewhere. But here's what we do know. He was once... In the, in the 
in the south, in the southern part of Judea, worshiping in the temple and participating in the feasts with God's people, but now is up in the mountains of the north, isolated and alone. And so as he remembers what it used to be like, he's remembering that there used to be community. There used to be people around me. And the first thing that we see about being in a spiritual desert is, is that you get disconnected from community. That you see, we're vulnerable when we're not surrounded by people who know us and love us. That when a sheep gets out of the fold, when you get off on your own, you become very, very vulnerable. And this is why it's so important for you to understand the difference between the, the condemnation that comes in the form of guilt that comes from the enemy and the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit, but oftentimes feels and smells and tastes just like the same guilt. That one is going to pull you to God and the other is going to push you away from God. And the enemy wants to push you away from God, wants to discourage you and separate you from the flock and get you out where you're vulnerable. And so here we see that one of the the qualities of the desert, of the drought, is that there's no community there. And he's alone. And he's suffering. And when you're alone... You see, I mean, even today, a day never goes by that we're in church for sure. That someone somehow doesn't either in a prayer, a prayer request, or in some conversation, there's always someone always says to me, so-and-so, pray for so-and-so, such-and-such a struggle, such-and-such a situation, and they they don't want to come to church anymore. Or they're, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Or whatever nonsense they can think of. When you find yourself in a drought, you don't, you don't have encouragement. But just on a practical level. If you're by yourself, if you're out of fellowship, if you're hiding in a crowd. So you can, you can be in a crowd and be in fellowship but not be in fellowship. And here's the thing. When you're alone, when you're disconnected, when you're when you don't have any real intimate relationships with anyone that you're you're talking about what's going on in your life and you're dealing with issues and you're having conversations throughout the week. When that's missing, then how do you know when you're right? How do you know when you're wrong? How do you know when you're doing good or when you're not? You see, what's your frame of reference? I mean, think about it. You leave me in a cave for for a little while and suddenly I'm going to be super Christian. I mean, I'm the only one there, right? I mean, the point is, is that it's it's in the the rubbing shoulders with one another. It's in the iron sharpening iron that we that we are able to actually know the truth about who we are and where we are and what's really going on with us. But man, we we just push back at that. And you know what? Right now, right now, there's no doubt in my mind that there are, there are thoughts running through heads in this room and, and you're, just, you're just qualifying and quantifying all the reasons why you do the things you do. But I'm just telling you that when you, when you get disconnected from community, nothing good's going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Number two, we see that there's some disillusionment over the circumstances of life. In other words, that something has begun to go on that is 
uh, stretching the psalmist in a way that he's not comfortable with. Things aren't going according to plan. Suddenly life's not looking the way he thought it was going to look. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? Verse 9 says, I will say to the, the God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Now, if you say to God, why have you forgotten me? That automatically tells us that you feel like you're somewhere you ought not be, right? In other words, you, you, don't, you, you don't ever feel like you're right in the center of God's will, right where He wants you to be, right where you expected to be, and then go, God, why'd you forget me? No. Now, does that mean God forgot us? No. But what I'm saying is, is that sometimes we feel like God's forgotten us because we're looking at the circumstances of our life and they're telling us something different than what we know in our heart to be true. So we're reading Scripture and we know that God hasn't forgotten us, but man, it really looks like He's forgotten me. And you see, you, you, get, in a, you get disillusioned and it brings on a, a drought. And it's real easy to get disillusioned when you're disconnected. So first you're disconnected, then you get disillusioned, and then suddenly you get deprived. In other words, you just start to, 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 to perish physically. Look at, look at verse 3. Look at the first line in verse 3. My tears have been food day and night. Now just... Think about this. Yeah, it's, uh, you read that and you think, wow, you know, it's just a poetry. It's just a beautiful metaphor. But what, what is the Word of God saying? Well, there's great sorrow. Yeah. But let's go a little beyond that. Let's, let's go back to what we're talking about, about this connection between the physical and the spiritual. What's the psalmist eating? Not food. Tears. Well, what's the, how's the psalmist sleeping? Not sleeping. Crying all night. So we're not eating. We're not sleeping. In other words, we're, we're, we're unhealthy. We're depriving ourselves of the, the, the nourishment that we need. And we're showing all the physical signs of depression. See, suddenly, uh, the, the psalmist gets disconnected, then gets disillusioned, and now here comes depression. Here, here comes all this overwhelming flood of sorrow. And then it's, it's I'm just going to isolate myself, and I'm not going to eat, and I can't sleep, and I just become a zombie, and I can't think right, and I can't operate right, and I'm breaking down physically. And you see, the, the, the body and the spirit, they don't, they don't work in opposition to each other. They work together. I mean, God created us, all of us, the way we are. And so they, they work together. And, and the thing is, emotionally, just look at the... Just take everything we've said and connect it to, to simple uh, physical truth that we know. In other words, you're, you're disconnected from community. You know that emotionally you need friendships. You need relationships. You know that. You need to laugh. You need to cry. You need to show emotion. And when you're by yourself and all of your emotion comes out when you're alone, that's not healthy. 
And so, from an emotional standpoint, we need community. From a physical standpoint, we need rest and we need nourishment. So we're disconnected, so we're emotionally off track. Now we're not able to, to connect emotionally the way we need to. We're, we're physically not eating and not sleeping, so we're breaking down physically. And then spiritually, what happens is that the truth that we need to nourish us spiritually doesn't line up with everything that's going on with us. And so you, this is the, 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 the wrestling match that's going on in Psalm 42. This is the drought. This is why over and over you hear this, these, these cries of my soul, my soul. I mean, God, what's going on? Because here I know things. But here, here I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm hurting. So what do you do? How do you, how do you get through this? What happens if you're just going along and suddenly you find yourself just thirsty? And hungry. And God seems distant. And you just, you're just struggling. And when people ask you why you're struggling, you have a hard time explaining why you're struggling. Because you, you, you're not really sure. You're just struggling. And you know what you need to do. But you just find it hard to do. And when you do, it just doesn't seem like it's accomplishing what, it, what, what, what you need. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And so look at what the psalmist does. In verse 4, he says, When I remember these things, then he says, I pour out my soul within me. That word soul, that means he pours out his emotions within him. So he, he basically gets honest and stops pretending that nothing's the matter and that everything's okay. You see, sometimes the the drought is brought on due to misdiagnosis. In other words, sometimes we just in rebellion, we stop doing the things. We just take ourselves out of fellowship. We disconnect ourselves. We stop reading the Bible. We stop praying. And then we go along and we can go a month or whatever, or two weeks or however long, and then things start falling apart. And then when everything falls apart, we're like, oh boy. And then we just need to run back to what we're doing. But what if you are taken captive into another land? In other words, you are out of, you're disconnected from fellowship, but you're a captive in a foreign land. Well, I mean, what happens when, when you are uh, disillusioned by the events of your life and there's, you can't do anything about it? In other words, if you get a phone call and you've got cancer, you've got cancer. You can't just hope it away. You see? And so sometimes we got to recognize and realize that we got to just be honest. We're in a desert. We've got to pour our soul out. And then we've got to analyze our hopes. Look at what he does in verse 5. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Then he says, Hope in God. In other words, he's, he's reassuring himself that in the midst of the reality and the honesty of the situation that he's in, I need to hope in God. 
I'm not sure how to do that yet. I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work out, but I need to hope in God. And so he's saying, I need to hope in God. Look at 11. He says the same thing. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. Why does he repeat the same thing twice in one short 11-verse psalm? Because he needs to remind himself of what he's hoping in. Even if he doesn't feel like he's hoping in it, he needs to at least establish some level of honesty to say, I need to hope in God. I need to self-examine myself. I need to search my soul and realize that, that I'm downcast and I'm struggling and I've got to find the source of this. You see, the drought, sometimes the drought is not uh, punishment for sin. Sometimes the drought is to harvest out some of the impurities that are in our hopes. You see, when you get in the drought, here's what you figure out real quick. When you're walking in the desert, you figure out where your hope is. See, you're thirsty and it's hot and there's nothing and you're walking, and you're walking, and you're starting to dream about, you know, a, a water fountain and a giant uh, truck with cold, ice-cold water, just all the bottled water you can think of. And you start thinking of all these things. And you, it's amazing. You start thinking of certain things. Like, what are you, how are you hoping that this ends? How are you hoping that it, and here's what we do. We get in the drought. And then we're so predictable. We sort of go to our default mode. In other words, if there's a person in our life that we, you know, have gone to before for help, then we go to that person. Or if there's something that we've done, we do that. Or if there's a book that we read in the past that greatly encouraged us, we go back to that book. Or we, In other words, our hopes are going to purge out. And sometimes we have hopes in things that aren't necessarily bad, but they're not God. In other words, I don't want you... To come to me and ask me for help if your hope is in me. You got a problem. I want you to come and ask me for help if your hope is in God. And together we'll walk through it. You see, your hope's got to be in Him. It could be in other things. And they may not necessarily be bad, but they're not the best thing. They're not Him. You have to hope in God. And so He's telling Himself, He's being honest with Himself. My hope's got to be in God. It can't be in anything else. So when you're in the drought, you have got to pour yourself out and be honest with who you are and where you are. And you've got to examine what are your hopes in. And then you've got to remember. You see, because there were days... When this wasn't the case for the psalmist. In other words, we see in verse 6, Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan. So he's remembering that there was a, a better time. He's remembering that there was another time. In verse 8 he says, The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night His song shall be with me. A prayer to God of my life. In other words, there he's remembering back, This is a graceful God that I serve. So I'm in the desert. And I'm thirsty. And I'm longing for something to drink. Because where did we begin? We began as a deer. Panting. Now let me ask you a question. What's a deer doing in the desert? You know, it doesn't say a camel. See, camels belong in the desert. Camels are equipped for the desert. 
camels are the environment, I mean, the desert is the environment that a camel was made for. Deer don't belong in the desert, in the drought. But, you see, we're in a place that we don't belong. We don't fit. Something's not right. But the question is, who's our God? Who is He? See, first we have to be honest about our our hopes in Him, but who is He? And to do that, you've got to recall. You've got to go back and say, who were you prior to Him? Because in that comes the encouragement, the reminder of the steadfast, undeniable truth of the loving kindness of the God that we serve. You see, if you're saved you have an automatic guaranteed default mechanism. You can always go to a time in your life and go, God is good. He is. If you're saved. Because, see, you know who you were. You, you can remember that, that moment in time where you as an undeserving sinner received this overwhelming grace, this loving kindness. That just the hesed of God that just poured out upon you, that was all around you. You see? And so we, we have to remember that God is a graceful God. So we, we've got our hope in God, and He's a graceful God. And so we're thinking back. Lord, You've been good to me. You've been good to me in the past. You're a good God. You're a loving God. But you see, I feel like... Now track with me here. I'm in the desert. I've poured my soul out before God. I've gotten honest and real before Him. And I've examined and analyzed where my hope is. And I've established that it's in God. And then I've remembered the loving kindness, the true nature of God. So my hope is in Him and I know that He's good, but I'm in the desert. I'm still in the desert. And it still appears to me that He's forgotten me. And this is the crux, this is the problem that we will end up in. We'll hit this wall and this is going to make or break us. What do you do when your hope is in a God who you know is a loving and good God, but it's falling apart around you? I mean, how do you reconcile that? What's the solution there? Well, if we got this... Man, we would suddenly become amazing counselors and helpers and brothers and sisters walking other people through the process of discipleship. Notice verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. That word my countenance. It's my salvation. It's like the face of God has shone upon him. Now, why is that different? Or better yet, how is that different from verse 5? There's only one word different. Look at verse 5. The same thing. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Something changed between verse 5 and verse 11. You see, the commitment is there. For in this storm, in this desert, I will yet praise Him. 
That's consistent. That's the same. The difference comes is that in verse 5, he says, for the help of his countenance. That, that his, he, he is the one who has salvation. But in verse 11, the help of my countenance. In other words, now his salvation has shown upon me. So you know what's going on here? Is that in the midst of the dilemma where you have gotten honest before God, you, you are in the desert, you're trying to figure this thing out, your hope is in God, you've remembered that He's a good God, but your circumstances don't align with everything that you're, you're seeing and that you're knowing and you're trying to figure this out. What do you do? You have to remind yourself of the gospel. You see, the only way you know for sure that God is a good God in the midst of the desert, the only way you know you're not going to perish in the desert, the only way you can know that is the gospel. And the reason the gospel is the, the, the trump card, is the, is the one thing that absolutely positively breaks the back of discouragement and disillusionment is because it cannot fail. God spent too much on you. He gave too much. You can't lose. Not because of you, because of Him. In other words, there's no desert so long, so hot, so dry, so scary, so dangerous, so horrific, that God would somehow negate His Son that He crushed on that cross for you. That He will never let that go to waste. He will never let His Son be dishonored. He promises. He's backed it up in action. He's proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that He means what He says. Because He put His Son on the line. And so in the desert, what you do is you, you say, wait a minute. Instead of my God, where are you? Why do you seem so far? Why, why are you so quiet? You might say, well, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, everything that you're feeling in the drought, in the desert, it's already been absorbed you, you can never feel as distant as your Savior's already felt. You see, He's already had His Father turn His back to Him as He bore the sin of the world. So when you feel distant, you need to remind yourself, there He is on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wait a minute, he, he can't forsake me because He's forsaken Him. And because He's forsaken Him, that what He forsook His Son for must stand. You see, it, it must stand. It has to stand. It cannot fail. I mean, everything else can fail, but that cannot fail. That is the one truth that can never fail. You see, you, your, your heavenly Father has laid it on the line. He's all in in this relationship. And so no matter what you feel, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter how much you can't understand what's going on around you, He's already 
felt the sting of the crowd saying, so, so where's your God now? Where is he? Where is he as you hang on that cross? You see, in our place, condemned he stood. That we might now stand. And so regardless of the drought, listen, you can stand. You won't die. You will make it. Your eternity is not based on you, how you feel, what goes on around you, the degree to which you feel silenced from God or distant from God or any of those other things. It's based solely on the blood of Christ and nothing else. And so the drought, the psalmist takes us through this picture of the help of the, the, the help of my countenance as it glows, as the face of God has shown his salvation on me. It pleased the Lord, Isaiah says, to crush his son. Why? 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 Because he knew that it couldn't fail. He knew that it was guaranteed. He knew what it would yield. He knew that no matter what we face, we'll persevere in him. That's why it pleased him. It pleased him to show the glorious nature of the God that He is. What else could He have done? What, what could He have possibly done that could have spoken more to me and you tonight, right now? What could He have done that would say with any greater fervency, I love you. Trust me. Sometimes, sometimes, you're not just going to sing. All things work together for good. Sometimes you have to walk it. But it always works together for good. Because that's the God that we serve. And so listen, the desert is going to come. Some of you in this room are you're relatively new Christians. And you've just, you know, been on a roller coaster ride for the last few months. And let me tell you something. The desert's coming. Sometimes, you know, right, right off the bat, the rug gets jerked out from under you. Some of you, you think you're past all that. You've sort of hit the golden years of Christianity. Well, they don't exist. You know why? Because He loves you too much to leave you where you are. He loves you too much. And so what we have to do is we have to walk as people. we got to do what we need to do to keep ourselves healthy. But we also need to be honest that sometimes the drought comes. Sometimes the desert comes. And when it does, 
We know what to do. Pour your heart out before God. Be honest with yourself about who you are. Look around you and ask questions. Have, have I been disconnected? Am I, am I disillusioned and malnourished? What, what's going on with me physically and spiritually? And then respond accordingly. You, you don't, just, don't just say with your mouth, I hope in God. Remember who God is. And then remind yourself of the gospel because it proves, it proves that you will survive, that you'll make it always. Let's stand, bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we're grateful tonight for your word. Thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for encouraging us, Lord God. Thank you for uh, these people, Lord God. Thank you for those in this room who, as I'm speaking, they're feeling those scars of the desert experiences of yesterday. They're, they're not only remembering when the countenance of your salvation shone upon their face, but they're remembering the dark valleys that you have walked them through, Lord God. And they're rejoicing in their spirit because, Lord, it just reminds them of how good you are and how trustworthy you are. And, Lord God, we thank you for that tonight. Lord God, there's some here who are yet in the desert right now. And, Father God, I pray that, Lord, they'll pour their soul out before you. Lord God, that they'll look to Psalm 42 and they'll find a prescription, Lord God, to weather the storm, to embrace the good the good gift that you have through the desert experience, Lord. Father God, no matter how distant you may feel to them, no matter how broken and wounded, Lord God, they may think that they are. Father, the gospel proves that, Lord God, you've paid too much to fail. Thank you for Jesus, Lord. Thank you for the assurance that we can have in Him. And Lord God, thank You for the simplicity of, Lord God, just coming before Him and recognizing Him as our Savior and receiving Him into our heart, Lord. And if there's one here who doesn't know You as Savior and Lord, God, we pray right now that in this very moment, right now, they would look to heaven and they would say, God, will You save me? Will You apply what Jesus did on the cross to my debt? Will you erase my sin? Will you adopt me into your family? Will you call me your own? Can I be a co-heir with Christ, Lord God? And God, may they hear, yes, my son, yes, my daughter. I love you. God, thank you for the gospel. Lord, we want to be a people who embrace whatever you have for us. And Lord God, we thank you for your word and for the direction it gives us. Now be glorified as we respond to you in Jesus' name.